G'day and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much. Now, if your mates miss the shows at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts or Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Today is a special edition of Grad Chat in that Halloween is in a couple of days. Yes, for those people who love Halloween, it is in a couple of days. I'm not quite used to it because we don't do a lot with Halloween in Australia, but clearly it is a big North American thing. Now, you might wonder how Halloween and research are connected. Well, let me tell you they are. And so I would like to introduce you to Suyin Olgan, who is doing a PhD in English Language and Literature under the supervision of Dr. Brooke Cameron. Welcome to Grab Chat Su- again, Suyin. Thank you for having me again, DJ. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you, if you don't remember... Sue Yin has been on the show before when we talked about what people ate during Tom Brown's school days and what that told us. Since then, Sue Yin has had the opportunity to delve more deeply into food science and critical nutrition studies of the Victorian literature and culture, having presented in Germany and more recently at the Toronto Garlic Festival. So with Sue Yin's research background and the fact it is Halloween, Today we're going to talk about vampires and garlic, the science, literature and folklore of fending off vampirism. Oh, sounds so great. I love it. (laughs) And there's one of those laughs, the Dracula laughs. (laughs) Just thought I'd put that in, but that is actually quite normal for me. Anyway, I understand that you presented a talk called Vampires and Garlic, Haters Gonna Hate, which was part of the Culture Talks and the Speaker's Corner for the ninth annual Toronto Garlic Festival. Now, firstly, I didn't realise there was a garlic festival each year, but can you tell me a little bit about the festival and who attends it? Of course. Yes, I was surprised as well. (laughs) It was the ninth annual, so it's been going on for nine years. A long time, yes. And it was founded by Peter Mac. Klotsky, okay, who wrote a fantastic book on garlic in Ontario. It is really a fantastic book. Right. So yes, uh, so he founded the festival and it's open to the public, the general public. Well, any fans of garlic, really, if you right. love garlic, you should attend this this beautiful uh, festival because you get a garlic breath contest. You get <laughs> just what we to need, eat. a garlic breath contest. Yes. Oh yes. You get to eat a, a lot of food. From Ontario chefs, right? There's chocolate, there's beer, flavored garlic. Excellent. It sells out, by the way. Yes, yes. <laughs> I bet it does. Yes. <laughs> and uh, you get to buy garlic for the entire year, stuck up garlic oh. for the year, and it's it's a wonderful place. That's in pretty Toronto. cool. Yes. Well, knowing that Halloween is just around the corner at this particular festival, because I know that's not in in October, but. Do people actually dress up as well to, to get into character? Or I mean, I know it's not meant to be about Halloween. It is all about garlic. Oh, 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 yeah. Well, you know, we had a vampire protest. There was a oh, really? vampire there with a sign. <laughs> I missed her. I wish I had taken a picture with her. But she was, uh, there's some protests of vampires coming in, you know, with yes. the no garlic sign. No garlic. I love it. Yes. Love it. So we do have some of those. <laughs> Very cute. So, so how did you get to present at the festival as your research isn't specifically on garlic? 
Well, it was destiny. I call it it was destiny. destiny. Yes, perfect. It's always destiny because I was born on the day that Dracula was published. Oh, mm -hmm. okay, that is destiny. Yeah, it is destiny. But other than that, I, I started this research on vampires with my now supervisor, Dr. Brooke Cameron, mm -hmm. in during my MA, and I was okay. at the University of Montreal. Right. So one of my colleagues there, Dr. Renier, she suggested my work because Peter was looking for someone to present on vampires for the festival, so that's how. Okay, but um, this isn't your first time. No, they invited me back. <laughs> so I you must have done okay I did, the you first know, time round. I was surprised because <laughs> I go, oh my God, I didn't do that bad then. And the, the caption or the heading for for the little blurb they put online to advertise was, so you know, again, it's back with more vampires, more garlic. I go, oh, yes. <laughs> it, was, it was wonderful. That's yeah. fantastic. So what was the experience like? I mean, because... The difference here is that this is not an academic audience that's mm -hmm. uh, going to be listening to. This is the general public, and you know that that creates its own challenges mm -hmm. of how do you how do you bring out knowledge that you've got or enthusiasm that you've got to a general audience. Yes, that was a very tricky experience for me the first time around. I'll talk about the first time around because that was the moment when I realized, okay, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to okay. present. <laughs> not sounding like a robot. <laughs> and I have a lot of teaching experience, but at right. the same time, because the festival invites academics as well, and okay. you have talks from celebrity chefs, or we also have talks from scientists coming in, right? So you have a broad audience. Okay. So all ages as well. Right. So I was not prepared for that at, at the first time around. I, I really found it very challenging because I overwhelmed my audience with facts okay so it's too research it was, too researchy yes. and you get used to when you're presenting a paper half of the time you're presenting in front of a senior academics and right. you always want to establish yourself and validate yourself right. so i worry too much about my credentials my credibility okay. and my audience doesn't i mean they can read that on a website right they exactly don't, they exactly. don't need to know how i got to write about vampires and what i do and why I do what I do and right. why they should believe what I say. <laughs> <laughs> they want to be entertained. Exactly. And I got very overwhelmed. I was just sweating and luckily I got a garlic beer with me. Which oh, is that great. helps. That helps. But <laughs> a few swigs of the beer, the garlic beer. <laughs> yes. But there was a mediator, Yvonette uh, de Sosa. She's so, she was so wonderful. She's so sweet. She, I, I think she sensed that I was getting a little bit of track or right. redundant or, you know, just... Getting stuck. Yes. And she just took the opportunity when I paused, and then she asked me a question. And then out right. of the sudden, my headspace changed because it was like grat chat. It was like talking to you. Right, right. And she just knew exactly what to ask based on what she's read because they read my work. And yes. then after that, it was so easy. But it was too late at the time for me. <laughs> it felt like it was almost over. But that made it easier. Just having a conversation and having that interaction with my audience, they started asking questions themselves and then it was a conversation and that's what happened in the classroom as well right right but even at the time in the classroom i couldn't do that until much later by the end of the semester i go oh no i can't it. why do you have to end <laughs> right but yeah that's but what a great learning experience mm -hmm. so I, I take it then I mean, because we're all very good at overanalyzing presentation that yes. we have to give. We spend half the time, too much time, mm -hmm. trying to think of the exact words rather than just having the bullet points that yes. you just speak to. Yes. So that does then become more of a, a mm -hmm. conversation. So after that first go and the fact that they did ask you back, which, yes. I mean, if they really hated it, they wouldn't have asked you back, <laughs> so I, I would have thought. 
So how did you find the second time round? The second time around was just... Did you approach it differently, into, even, even with the subject matter? Oh, absolutely. I knew what not to do. Right. <laughs> I knew not to spend too much time on myself and my research and citing and validating. Right. I knew that the audience wanted to hear about vampires and garlic, the folklore of it, because the first time around it was about the mythology. Right. But this time I incorporated the science and the folklore and the literature and it was really wonderful because I was writing this paper and I knew exactly how to say it I was talking to my paper right right and it was so easy to write the challenge was that I was late because of the beautiful 401 traffic (laughs) but they waited for me they waited that was good it was wonderful so I got there and I just talked to my audience and I I felt really great that uh, the questions were fantastic people came to talk to me after that's always and a good sign. I met a queer alumni who did his degree in philosophy. Excellent. So we talked about uh, trans- Romanian superstitions and folklore. It was, it was really wonderful. So you didn't need the old garlic beer that time round? No, it was sold out. Oh, they sold out? Yes. <laughs> I didn't get Thanks again to the 401. Yes. Thank you, 401. <laughs> but they did send me an apron. You can, you can see in the picture. Yes, Thank you so much for sure that. we're going to make sure put the, the picture yes. in on the, on the grad chat poster. It. it was waiting for me at Watson Hall, and I just went, Hurry. Excellent. Yes. That's really good. So, I mean, you've talked a little bit about what you've learned. Well, in terms of how your experience was the second time, but what have you learned in general from from the both from both sections in terms of the first time you're around where you said you, you struggled a little bit because you were trying to make it too research-oriented to the second time where you clearly found it a lot easier. So what are the big things that you have learned that you can tell other students who have to do presentations to different audiences I mean because that's the big thing that's the point of grad chat as you mentioned Mm -hmm. is learning to speak to different audiences and understanding what they're looking for in a talk you know Mm -hmm. what is the message you're wanting to get across for that particular audience so what have you learned from both those two sessions well to be honest throughout the year I've been doing a lot of other activities outside of the dissertation outside of the teaching experience as well I've been doing a lot of grad chats with you. I've been right. doing grad chats and I've been also doing ori- uh, orientation week and talking to students for fall preview and right. talking about programs. And I remember I struggled so much last year with that as well, just talking to another human being who wasn't my student <laughs> and who wasn't another fellow academic I wanted to impress, right? Right, yes. <laughs> so I learned that all of these experiences just got me the skills I needed without even knowing it. I didn't know I was... Hmm. learning this and attending the Expanding Horizon workshops especially too okay. because I get to see presenters as well and what worked for me right? and uh, talking to my professors my mentors because I do try to learn all the time and I had a I think I remember telling you when we did a panel that I, I used to go on tangents yes. and never come back to the question and, right. and that was nerve wracking and that discouraged me a little bit I, I thought about going at it the second time. I go, you need to conquer, you need to conquer this fear. You have to do it because this is your life. This is your career. Right. It was really amazing, to be honest, to feel that confident. It just came naturally. Right. So I, I would say that it, it is worth stepping out of your dissertation and know that we, we make it a priority and it should be in many ways. But you don't get to learn by writing in that way the entire time. Right. You need to be able to condense the information and to talk to an audience in a way they understand. And if they don't, we rephrase right. and rephrase. Right. And that comes with practice. Even from last week in Career Week, yes. the, the talk that we had 
for working outside the academic sector. Building your career is not the urgent thing the dissertation is, right? But throughout the program, you're learning the skills that you need, the networking, the communication, Mm -hmm. and even just writing a cover letter. They're not reading your letter only. They're reading 200 letters. So you have to stand out. You have to know how to promote yourself and your skills. And it's easy to say excellent communication skills, but how does that translate in a meeting or or in the classroom, right? You have to do all of these things. And so it's, it's something that you need to build. So take advantage of all of the opportunities from the School of Graduate Studies because, honestly, I did not see it coming. Now you know. And now you know. And now I know. So I'm going to keep going. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. See, they do learn a lot here. And, yeah. and, and I think you actually hit it on the nail on the head there when you said, you know, there's one, I mean, you're here to do your degree mm-hmm. and there's things you have to do for your degree, but there's a lot of transferable skills and other skills that you can learn along the way mm-hmm. to help you whichever direction you want to go to yes. next um, and unfortunately whether we like it or not communication skills is is a huge thing that we have yes. to um, accomplish mm-hmm. and like you said not just on the academic side but for general public yes exactly even like you said for whether you're teaching an undergrad versus a grad mm-hmm. uh, you know all those sorts of things or a high schooler and things exactly you need to learn what is your audience need Mm-hmm. Um, and what's their level exactly. that they would understand and get excited about what you want to yes. talk. Because excitement, the, if you're excited and passionate, which we are, we're mm-hmm. grad students, you transmit that to your audience and in response they get excited with you. And what better way to build it than to talk about vampires? Oh, yes. <laughs> I could talk about vampires forever. See, that spontaneity, I mean, <laughs> you can't see it here on the radio, but as soon as I meant, mentioned the word vampire, Suyin's face just lit yes. up and it was kind of like, yeah, vampires. <laughs> There's this meme that uh, I found that says, when every little girl dream, dreamt about being a ballerina, I dreamt about being a vampire. <laughs> okay, okay, so there was a sign. Yep. <laughs> that was totally a sign. Yeah. Could be a little bit scary, but I'd watch myself here. <laughs> in, in the studio. So I know that your doctoral research is on food and nutritional science, which primarily focused on the 19th century and earlier. What is the connection between literature and science? And, and I guess also, what have you learned throughout this process of reading a work of literature and making connections outside of the discipline? Oh, that also gets me excited. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, a, I'm on a winner today. Yes. Oh, yes. I'm a huge advocate for the humanities, you know, because... What we don't realize is that we tend to think about the humanities and the, the medical sciences or the sciences in general as two separate fields. Right, unrelated yes. to each other. Mm-hmm. But we forget that at some point they weren't, that they were connected, very closely connected, and that's what makes it so wonderful. Because although they became separate fields, it was the way that we think of medicine came out from that, those thinkers, right? Those early thinkers from mm-hmm. the literature as well. Right. I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but Freud was inspired by Stevenson's Jekyll and Hyde, that idea of the split self and the unconscious psychoanalysis. Oh, right? I didn't yeah. know that. Okay. Freud also writes on Hamlet with the Oedipus complex, right? right? And you get all of this. The, the literature made people think about certain things, and the scientists too. You you have early records of someone thinking about the ingredients of cake as being unhealthy. You don't have the terminology, you don't, something that then the related scientists went, oh, what's the composition of this? How does it rise? How does it happen? And to me, the, what I've learned is that because my field is so open 
And because I get to read and analyze literature in this way, I can just make those connections outside so easily. Right, it, right. It's just a wonderful experience. You don't really need to think about, oh, the interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary, that's what we do already with grad mm -hmm. students, with right. researchers, right? We always think outside the box. That's why right. we're here. And our passions lead us to different things. And those connections, because they were there all the time, they're still there. They're we still just there. speak about them differently. Yeah. So with this connection between literature and science can you give us being halloween some examples of oh, yeah. how literature and science have interacted well I'll, t I'll start with the science part okay because i love science Excellent. i did start with a major in biology at some point but i love to read <laughs> about medicine and, and science and you know what there is this theory about vampirism this scientist it, it's a wonderful article he used dracula stoker's dracula as a case study for porphyria Oh, really? And he has this theory that he was a sufferer of porphyria because of the sensitivity to light and right. the, the sharp teeth Jeez, yeah. and the intolerance to garlic. So that was a great discovery to have a scientist researching on porphyria, putting Dracula, a fictional character, right, and then connecting it to Vladimir Paler and all of those earlier connections, right, as a case study, which I right. go, oh, fantastic. So when it comes to the science, we have this traditions of knowing that garlic is beneficial, right? We know right. that it's good for the body. In early days, there's records of garlic being used as a disinfectant, as an antibacterial, even to prevent po poisoning. You can all, you, the farmers used to rub it in their hands to, to when they were milking. So the, the bacteria from the animal oh, wouldn't go into the milk. So okay. they used to rub garlic in their hands. Right. So there's always this. There's always been this talk about garlic having these medicinal properties. And you have a lot of scientists going back into the history of that because they want to tell what's in it. Okay. Even with the smell, it's very close to ammonia. You have, it's, it's very good to prevent heart disease and certain toxins in the body, right? Okay. It purges it, and it prevents, it creates this healthy barrier, but it also gives energy. And again, all of this information came from a study from two scientists going back into the history and the folklore because they also saying now there's so much that we could learn by looking back into looking this back. folklore mm -hmm. because where are these stories coming from and how do we know this? And with, the, with that being said, you have it as a power food for Greek athletes. And in Egypt, they, they found some garlic in the tomb of... Of Tutankhamun? Yes. Okay. And they didn't know why. They don't know the superstition part, but they know that it was used right. as a medicinal. And you have those records everywhere in the world. You have it in Mexico, you have it in India, in China. There are so many right. uses of garlic. And the scientific community is now publishing a lot on what it does. What it does. So we understand it in a scientific I way. I so need to eat more garlic. Yes. <laughs> it's really good for you. I Not know. just to prevent, you know. Spirits and no, vampires. but the other things. But too. the other things too, which. But, yeah. but you bring up a good point there about folklore, mm -hmm. and if it's my understanding, Bram Stoker, mm -hmm. he used Romanian folklore. Is that correct? Yes. Romanian folklore to help him create what we now know as the story about Dracula. Yes. So can you explain to us a little bit about that? Yes. You know, one of the best references I found in this history of food is that the idea that garlic can deter a vampire. It became ingrained in the popular imagination after Stoker right. made that connection. Okay. But what, how he got to that connection was based on his extensive research. He researched for about five years before writing Dracula on Romanian and Transylvanian superstition. Right. And in those narratives, 
you have those references to garlic being used to repel not vampires specifically, but ghouls and witches and evil spirits. Okay. And so other parts of the underworld or exactly. even, like you said, witchcraft and stuff. Yes. And I think that that inspired, that's my theory at least, that because garlic was used in this way and because it has medicinal properties. And in, and in a lot of my research, I talk about that idea of the healthy body, the way Van Helsing and the vampire hunters have to be nourished and healthy. That's the only way to destroy the vampire threat. Right. So those discourses of health attached to garlic plus the deterrent to the supernatural. Right. And I, my theory is that it became... It made sense, mm -hmm. right? It just did. But it started with Stoker, the vampire and the, the garlic. The vampire and the garlic started mm -hmm. there. And because that was a while ago. So, I mean, I guess it doesn't take us long to no. for something to become fact or yes. considered fact. Yes. I mean, it's, it's fun facts. It's fun facts. So, so tell us then why learning more about vampires and garlic matters. And, you know, what else can we get from this topic other than, as we just mentioned, some fantastic facts? I think that is a great question. And I think that a lot of graduate students think about this at least once or twice or maybe five times a day. Of, <laughs> okay, so why does this matter? What is mm -hmm. it going to change? And, you know, I learned over six years that it's about communication of knowledge, right? Okay. It's about learning and looking at certain things because I'm not the first one or the only one who's worked on this but we bring such a different perspective yes and at the end of the day it helps us understand who we are when you study the literature and the history and the, all of these different texts and that includes newspapers and diaries and journals all of that together really shows you that there is this pattern right the human condition in many ways we haven't changed that much even though we think we have but if you think about it the vampire you have a figure that through the act of consuming a substance reaches eternal life, right? right. It's human blood, ouch. Right. Yes, but it but. Is in, it's consuming something that keeps it alive forever. And then we have these moments where that fear of death, we're always afraid we always want to prolong our life. Right. That's why we have all of this research being done so we can live longer because the mortality rate is not greater than it was in the Victorian period. Right. right? And it's just essential for us to understand that we learn so much about the human condition through these figures. And Nina Orbach says our vampires ourselves. So we can have a vampire that doesn't really resemble the monstrous anymore. They eat food like in the vampire diaries or they... Right. Yeah, they've changed it around They're a vegetarians. Bit. They're vegetarians. They sparkle. <laughs> you romanticize it, right? But it is that connection to health and that connection to our need to prolong our lives and our right. fear of and something fear. invading our bodies, that fear of death. It's it's just who we are. It's The vampire makes us realize how vulnerable our bodies are mm -hmm. to infection, to anything. Right. Because it, the vampire attacks and what's, it's taking, something is taking over your body and you become something else. Become right? something you else. die and you become something else. And that is a, that's predatory. Right. And for me, at least in my research, it helps to understand our relationship to food, to that, right. that how are we eating and why are we eating and dieting and all of these trends that come and go. And through my research, I can, I can show you, okay, listen, we have earlier texts that resemble the nutrition that right. you have, those advisories on nutrition. There were earlier books who, and from people who were Indian scientists, they were talking about their experience and then they wrote a book about how to diet properly and how to stay healthy and then people read it and it became very popular right. and we have the same going on right now and we tend to trust the nutrition guide and the food industry but it is an industry he was it born is. out of the 19th century with right. uh, Liebig he was a chemist and created this 
company and, and it's it's even the just the narratives on, on, on dairy right right so I think that what what I want in my research is not necessarily to change the world but to get an idea so you read more and you inform yourself you look into it a little bit more exactly because I mean I mean I've mentioned this before a lot of times particularly when I'm reading just a fun book mm-hmm. I'm reading it for a because I want a fun book to read. Yeah, I don't know what that's I, like anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't go into it in depth until I started doing Queen's Reads when mm-hmm. I started to look more closely yes. at what the book was actually saying. Yes. And I think we can get that out, out of either nursery rhymes no, that we used to, oh we used to God, say yes. as kids. And as kids, it was just a fun nursery rhyme, mm-hmm. a bit dark, but yes. a bit fun. But then you found out, well, how did that nursery rhyme get to be there in the first place? Mm-hmm. And that's when you learned about the Black Plague and you know yes. all these things with Ring a Ring of Roses. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'd known that when I was a little toddler, that Ring a Ring of Roses was about the plague, yes. I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. Mm-hmm. Because, but as soon as you start looking further into it, yes, further into it, yes. But then there's the other part too when you're talking about garlic and these things from folklore. I mean, it's like also those old wives' tales, as we oh, always say. Oh yes, it's an old wives' wives' tale. That if you do this, you're going to be better here, or, or or if you, even in cleaning, if you use this cleaning product, it's going to be better, etc. Yes. But that's all comes into these these old wives' tales and folklores, then become part of what we know mm-hmm, and, exactly. and believe yes and sometimes we should believe them and other times that is really is just an old wives tale exactly but, but it's finding out which is which exactly and what works for you you get to know yourself much better and you mm-hmm. get to have a better relationship we forget the language it's a, it's constructed then it's a form of communication right and i right. use my my son as a my little case study uh, <laughs> and i read that this in the word i am hungry it becomes your hunger right but I feel hungry, right? You're not hungry, you're not gonna eat your emotions out, right? right? And, I, and I've seen him develop a really healthy relationship to food. And he's just, oh, I need something healthy today. Well, that's Can I have good. an apple? I go, oh, I did that. But it was go. just through the way I talk about food right, right. to him because we don't realize it anymore when we're adults. No, so, yeah, no we, we, we forget things really quickly. Mm-hmm. So before we finish then, mm-hmm. and you talked a little bit about it, so what makes garlic a deterrent exactly? Oh. Good. Because, I mean, we started off about garlic, so we need to finish about garlic, even though we put about Dracula and things in the middle. Yes. So what yeah. makes garlic a deterrent? And I'm mis- and by this, I'm talking more about a deterrent to our little vampires. Uh, <laughs> it could be a deterrent to other people, too. I mean, if you eat too much garlic. You know what? Yes, Because that, I know true. for me it comes yes. out of my pores, and yes. I think, am I sorry, anyone standing near me right now? Yes. Well, we know that it's strongly connected to the smell. Okay. Because vampires don't necessarily eat it. And right. I love the thought of Van Helsing putting garlic bread around for the count to eat to prevent him from entering his okay. victim's room. Right. But it, that's not it. But they, they it's don't the smell. Eat it. So all of the references, at least in Dracula, are referring to the smell. And, and they put the garlic flowers, which I've never seen, by the way. I got a, right. I got a gifted one at the oh, festival. Oh, right? It was beautiful. And they put it around the windows. You know, okay. So the act of rubbing it is to release that smell. Right. The, the door frames, they prevent them from entering. Okay. So we know that it's a smell. And again, scientists, if you just Google vampires and garlic smell, you will have a lot of scientists talking about <laughs> the chemical composition of garlic that maybe it's what deters them. That deters them. But when it came to how the narrative got there, again, going back to that folklore, 
it, it, in Romania you have different entities. You have the Strigoi, who is a zombie-like vampire. Okay. It's usually your relative wanted to come back. Oh, lovely. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you don't know why. So keep on good terms. Yes. They haven't finished business sometimes, and they're, they have, to, or they died too young ahead of their time, so they're destined right. to be lingering until their time comes. Okay. And this tradition of putting the garlic flowers around the windows or rubbing garlic, even today in this festival every year, to prevent different entities from entering. So it's more about the flowers, so mm-hmm. the little bulbs the of yep. garlic that we press and everything. Mm-hmm. I thought if I just string up a whole bulb of garlic, yeah. my little vampires aren't going to come and get yeah, me. Yeah, you don't still drink. <laughs> yeah, because no. e- even in the references, they, they, Romanian burials, you do have this tradition of stuffing the mouth of the deceased. Okay. With garlic and the staking of the heart and all of these references to vampirism, yes. But to prevent vampirism, you don't eat a lot of garlic, mm-hmm. not as much in the narratives. I mean, right. they are narratives that portray that, but right. originally it started with the flowers, which Van Helsing brought from his from Amsterdam, by the way. They weren't, uh, he oh. was in London, he had the ship tool. Oh, okay. Amsterdam, well, from we Amsterdam. Van Helsing. Yeah, I don't know why, maybe he's stronger. <laughs> when I first first talk about uh, va- heard about vampires and things, I had me a little crucifix with me <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> to make sure yes, yes. they weren't going to come yes. near me. Like, yes. I forgot the garlic part, but I at least had that and I did, certainly didn't have a yes. steak. But Even those traditions are about repelling something. About right? repelling, yes. And, again, and garlic repels yes. the, Anything the inefficiencies in our exactly. system and things. And the vampire is. For the so it's, it's fascinating how one little thing like garlic mm-hmm. the re- and what garlic can do for us to make us healthier mm-hmm. um, can be then turned into this story of, of Dracula yes. and things so yes. uh, I really appreciate you coming on and telling us all about that and of course this is Halloween so yes. I'd imagine everyone will now be stringing up some more garlic garlic flowers You've got to find the garlic flowers around your house to protect you from not necessarily vampires but at least those little trick-and-treaters oh yes <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Particularly the older ones. I don't Goblins mind the little too. ones, but it's the, old, <laughs> the older trick-and-treaters. I think they've had their day. So if we see a lot more garlic flowers hanging around town, we know why. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Although it's a bit late. Apparently they're very fragile. Oh, okay. So All right. You we'll, we'll strike with, that one. You, then you need to go to the garlic festival in September to stock up. See, the garlic festival needs to be in October. Yes. They need to change yes. the date. the harvest season. Oh, good point. Yeah, well, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, maybe we should change Halloween to September. Oh, <laughs> well, it'd be less cold. Yes, it's true. So, so great chatting with you again. Thanks for coming on to the show and sharing us your thoughts on garlic and vampires. And, of course, good luck with the rest of your research. And I, you. I know you're trying to finish up now. Mm-hmm. And, it's, um, and most grad students find it difficult because they not necessarily go off on a tangent but they find these other things that are really exciting to, oh, yes. to talk and write about um, but at the end of the day they've got to get back to their dissertation so that they can finish and mm-hmm. I know you're very close to that so good luck with all of that thank you very much so that's it for everyone another week of grad chat sadly comes to an end don't forget you can download this show tomorrow from either iTunes Google Podcasts or Stitcher just type in grad chat I hope you all if you do uh, partake in the Halloween festivities have a a great Halloween until next week this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray
This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.